hello and welcome to this episode of the Lives and Styles of Old Hollywood. Today I will talk about a Hollywood legend. It's Humphrey Bogart. And according to the American Film Institute, Humphrey Bogart is the greatest male star of old Hollywood or classic American cinema. But apart from that, you will see that he has a lot more to offer than that. Honestly, I did not know anything actually about him, apart from being the husband of Lauren Bacall, who I simply adore for multiple reasons, and being the male star of Casablanca. So let's dive in and see who Humphrey Bogart was. Humphrey DeForest Bogart was born on December 25th in 1899 in New York City. Finally, his birth date was later changed for publicity reasons to January, because the studios thought that such a complex character and villain, as he often depicted, simply cannot be born on Christmas Day. But actually, this is his birthday, confirmed by several sources. It is Christmas Day. The family of Humphrey Bogart was quite particular and very wealthy. So his mother, Maud Humphrey, was a commercial illustrator who had won prizes and had learned to craft with Whistler. She earned roughly $750,000 a year when adjusted for inflation and was also a very active suffragette, so fighting for women's rights. Her ancestor was John Howland, who came over to America on the Mayflower and was actually a descendant from King Edward I of England. And by that connection, Humphrey Bogart is also related to Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland. Bogart's father, Belmont de Forest Bogart, was a cardiopulmonary surgeon serving at three different hospitals in Manhattan by the age of only 30. He was also of wealthy and old heritage. His father belonged to a family of Dutch farmers that had settled in New York in the 1600s and married wealthy heiress Julia Augusta Stiles de Forest. Together, they opened a hotel and at the same time, Belmont made a fortune manufacturing Littercraft tin advertising signs. So they were really well off and had a great and historically meaningful lineage. And thus, thus Humphrey Bogart. He grew up in an Upper West Side apartment and on the 55-acre estate on Canandaigua Lake in upstate New York. But Bogart was not an only child, but had two younger sisters, which were called Frances and Catherine Elizabeth. All three kids were brought up unsentimentally, as Bogart phrased it. So there was hardly any physical affection and very little emotion between parents and children. The first time Bogart told his father that he loved him was on the latter's deathbed. Bogart inherited his father's gold ring and wore him in many films. So there was some emotion from Bogart that he carried towards his family. Humphrey Bogart attended the best schools in the private Delancey School in New York and the Phillips Academy, which is his boarding school in Massachusetts. He was taken on by Phillips Academy only by family connections, not because of his academic brilliance. And he left after only one semester. Some reasons given for leaving were drinking and poor academic performance, angering the headmaster by throwing him into a pond, or being taken out of school by his parents because of his poor grades. Well, we will never know. Next up for Bogart was the Navy, because with no academic future in sight, he enlisted in 1980 during World War I. And apparently he liked it, as he is quoted later to have said, at 18, war was great stuff. Paris, sexy French girls, hot damn. 
and he left the Navy one year later in 1919. When he returned home to New York, aged 19, things had changed. His family had lost most of their wealth and bad investments, and Bogart's father was sick and hardly working anymore. So Bogart started to craft a life of his own in the middle of the jazz age, a lifestyle that he fully embraced. He actually did not start out as an actor or a performer like most of his colleagues of the time, but as a chess player. He played tournament-level chess, which is one division below master, and he played at New York Parks and at Coney Island. His start in acting came through his friendship with Bill Brady Jr., whose father William A. Brady had connections to the show business and set up the new company World Films. Bogart started there as a stage manager for a play of Alice Brady, and a short while later he appeared on stage in one of her plays and did so in subsequent productions. But what did he like about acting? Why did he choose acting as a profession? Well, he said himself it was the late hours, the attention, and that it was easy work. His free time was spent in speakeasies and drinking heavily. And according to some accounts, his famous lip scar is the result of a bar fight during that time. Other accounts blame it on a childhood accident and others on shrapnels or accidents during wartime. But the one in the bar is the most probable, as there are several accounts backing this. So Humphrey Bogart liked the stage and stayed with acting for about 13 years, between 1922 and 1935, appearing in at last 18 different productions. He never took acting lessons and just learned on the go by doing it. Most of the plays were comedies and his stereotypical role was that of juvenile or supporting roles. And Humphrey Bogart is actually credited to have been the first on stage to say the line, tennis anyone? His performances on stage were met with little appreciation, one critic describing him as inadequate. But when stage work dried up because of the Wall Street crash, Bogart moved to Hollywood, as did many actors during this time, and made his screen debut in The Dancing Town with Helen Hayes. Humphrey Bogart got a contract with the Fox Film Corporation for $750 a week and started appearing in several movies. The best thing about Fox... Bogart met Spencer Tracy, who would become a close friend and a drinking companion. Spencer Tracy is also credited with coming up with the name Bogey, as Humphrey Bogart is known throughout the world. Nevertheless, Humphrey Bogart did not have great successes, did not get great roles and was generally dissatisfied with his career and life. Additional to his movies, he still worked on Broadway to make ends meet. And one of the plays he starred in was The Petrified Forest in 1934, together with Leslie Howard and Betty Davis. Bogart was credited by the critics of doing his best work to date, and it was the long-awaited departure from the sleek characters that he had played on Broadway so far. Warner Brothers was set to bring the story to the screen, with Leslie Howard holding the production rights. Howard and Betty Davis were already cast for the movie, and Howard demanded Bogart to play heavy mentee. One telegram by Howard read, No Bogart, no deal. So, Humphrey Bogart was cast, and Frank Nugent, critic for the New York Times, wrote, Bogart can be a psychopathic gangster, more like Dillinger than the outlaw himself. This movie and this role made Bogart the star that he is known to be. Bogart never forgot that Leslie Howard was the one that made his fame and fortune possible and later even named his daughter Leslie Howard Bogart in his friend's favor. What followed were the villain years, as I call them. 
Despite the huge success of The Petrified Forest, Humphrey Bogart was not treated and cast as an A-lister, quite the opposite. Warner Brothers did not do anything to raise Bogart's profile or model him into a star. Instead, he was repeatedly cast in gangster B-movies. But even though he hated roles, he worked steadily and reliably. Roughly every two months, a Bogart movie came out. And he used these years to craft his film persona, which is a loner with a code of honor, a man that is vulnerable but charming, that is cynical and stoical. 1941's movie High Sierra, based on a screenplay by John Huston, was Bogart's last gangster movie and the first he collaborated on with John Huston, who would become a close friend as well as a drinking companion and professional buddy of Bogart. John Huston's The Maltese Falcon, a classic film noir, was originally planned by the producers for George Ruff to star in. But Ruff declined and Huston happily accepted Bogart instead. The movie was a critical and commercial success and also one of the few movies that Bogart was really pleased with. 1942's Casablanca is probably Bogart's best-known movie, and it also stars Ingrid Bergman. It was actually Bogart's idea to model Rick playing a chess player, as Bogart himself was a chess player and played the game so well, and also because playing is actually playing chess in real life with all the different parties that he is dealing with. The movie won the Academy Award for Best Picture, and Bogart himself was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, but did not win. This film made Bogart the world's highest paid actor with an annual salary of $460,000, which is roughly $7.2 million today. The four following movies, To Have and Have Not, The Big Sleep, Dark Passage and Key Largo, are probably also amongst the better known movies of Humphrey Bogart's career, because he starred opposite Lauren Bacall, his later wife. They actually met and fell in love on the set of To Have and Have Not and started an affair. The Big Sleep then was edited and re-edited several times to make the most out of the on-screen and off-screen romances with lots of innuendo. Bogart and John Huston worked together several times after the Maltese Falcon on The Trash of the Sierra Madre as well as on The African Queen. Their final film was Beat the Devil and was co-written with Truman Capote. Bogart also had founded Santana Productions in 1948 and played in several movies that were quite unsuccessful at the box office. One of them, though, stands out, and it's called In a Lonely Place. Apparently, the character that Bogart plays is the one that resembles the real-life Bogart the most. As Louis Brooks puts it, the film gives him a role that he could play with complexity because the film character's pride in his art his selfishness, drunkenness, lack of energy, stepped with lighting stroke of violence, were shared by the real Bogart. So, if you want to get a glimpse of who Humphrey Bogart actually was, watch the movie. As I mentioned before, Humphrey Bogart worked with John Muston on the movie The African Queen. And that would be the movie Bogart would finally win an Academy Award for. And it was actually Catherine Hepburn that suggested Bogart for the part, believing that he was the only one able to pull this role off. The movie was filmed on location in the Belgian Congo, and it was an ordeal for almost everybody. Except for Houston and Bogart, all crew members developed their sentry. As Bogart put it, all I ate was baked beans, canned asparagus and scotch whiskey. 
Whenever a fly bit Houston or me, it dropped dead. African Queen was actually Bogart's first movie in Technicolor. Everything before that was photographed in black and white. Two other very notable films of Bogart that followed were Sabrina, co-starring Audrey Hepburn and William Holden, and The Barefoot Contessa, co-starring Ava Gardner. But Humphrey Bogart was not only on the stage and in the movies, he also performed on TV and on radio. For example, wife Lauren Bacall, Henry Fonda and Bogart himself worked on a telecast based on The Petrified Forest and he adapted his best-known movies like Casablanca and The Maltese Falcon for the radio. Additionally, he recorded a radio series together with Lauren Bacall called Bold Venture. But why is Humphrey Bogart such a phenomenon? Well, as Jeffrey Meyer puts it in Bogart, A Life in Hollywood... Bogart did not like pretension, phonies and snubs. Sometimes he was defying conventional behavior and authority. Because when he thought someone had not performed well or was simply not good, like an actor or a director, he would say so. Although everybody else in Hollywood would say, oh, you cannot say that, because he was outspoken. If something was the way it was, he wanted to say it like that. And this candor was liked by many, especially the press, who was not used to that kind of frankness. But it was disliked by even more people, especially those in the Hollywood community. So he was not the most liked actor in Hollywood. On the other hand, he was also very well-mannered. He was articulate, he was very punctual, and he had great work ethic. Although he did attend Phillips Academy only for one semester, he was extremely well-read and was able to quote Alexander Pope, Rolf Waldo Emerson, Plato and Shakespeare. Some of his closest friends were writers and screenwriters and he enjoyed conversations and arguments with them. So he was quite intelligent. He also liked great suits and he liked style. For example, he believed the clothing department of Warner's to be just too cheap. So he wore his own suits for shooting and he brought his own dog when the role required it. On the other hand, Humphrey Bogart was also a heavy smoker and a heavy drinker which ended in him developing esophageal cancer. It got detected in 1956 and subsequently Bogart underwent surgery and chemotherapy. One year later, he collapsed into a coma and died, weighing only 80 pounds. His funeral was attended by Hollywood's biggest stars. Ingrid Bergman, Joan Blondell, James Cagney, Sid Gerais, Harry Cohn, Joan Crawford, Bing Crosby, Betty Davis, Olivia de Havilland, Marlene Dietrich, José Ferrer, Errol Flynn, Henry Fonda, Joan Fontaine, Judy Garland, Freer Garson, Audrey Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn, Bob Hope, John Huston, Ida Lupino, Veronica Lake, Jean Kelly, Davio Selznick, Ronald Reagan, Barbara Stanwyck, James Stewart, Jean Turney, Spencer Tracy, Billy Wilder, Jane Women and many, many more were there on site to say their final goodbyes to the greatest male actor of classic Hollywood. But what about his love life? Humphrey Bogart met his first wife, Helen Mencken, also an actress, in 1922, and they married in 1926, divorced one year later, and stayed friends afterwards. The reason for the divorce? Well, his career was more important to Bogart than his marriage. Nevertheless, Bogart married again in 1928, this time fellow actress Mary Phillips that he had worked with in an earlier production. 
Mary had quite a stage hit with A Touch of Brimstone and initially did not follow Bogart to Hollywood. When the play closed, though, she followed him, but still wanted to continue the career. Well, they divorced in 1937 after nine years of marriage. One year later, Bogart married actress Mayo Method. The marriage was so tumultuous that the tabloid press called them the battling Bogarts. Both were heavy drinkers and under the influence, Mayo would throw things, set the house on fire, stab Bogart and attempt suicide several times. She was eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, divorced from Humphrey Bogart in 1945, and she died at age 47 of complications from alcoholism. Interesting fact about Mayo, she's a direct descendant of Zachary Taylor, the 12th president of the United States. In 1944, as I said before, Bogart met Lauren Bacall on the set of To Have and Have Not, fell in love and started an affair with her. When he divorced Mayo Method in 1945, he married Lauren Bacall a mere two months later. The pair had two kids, Stephen Humphrey Bogart, born in 1949, and Leslie Howard Bogart in 1952. And although Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall loved each other very much, they both had affairs during their marriage. Bogart reportedly had an affair over the time of 12 years with Verita Bouvere Thompson, who was a hairdresser in Hollywood. But there are not only romantic relationships that are important in a person's life, no, there are also friendships. And the most notable friendships of Bogart include Spencer Tracy, John Huston and the Rat Pack. Bogart met Spencer Tracy, as I said, during his early days in Hollywood, and they remained friends for decades. Tracy actually was the last one visiting him one day before his death. And Bacall actually asked Tracy to give the eulogy at the funeral, but Tracy was too upset to do so. So John Huston did the honors. John Huston was, since their first professional meeting, one of Bogart's closest friends, and they admired each other greatly for their individual gifts. One of the friendships that I did not know about was that Humphrey Bogart was actually a founding member of the original Hollywood Rat Pack. The name Rat Pack came after a long night out drinking in Las Vegas with friends. And when he came home with them, his wife Lauren Bacall exclaimed, well, you look like a goddamn Rat Pack. And that is when the name was coined. The other founding members were Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, Sid Loft, Swifty Lazar, Nathaniel Benchley, David Niven, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, George Cooker, Cary Grant, Rex Harrison and Jimmy Van Huysen. And the Homeby Hills home of Bogart and Bacall served as a regular hangout for their friends during the 1940s and 1950s. So visiting members of the Rat Pack, you could call, included Errol Flynn, Robert Mitchum, Cherry Lewis, Nat King Cole and Tony Curtis. Later on, especially after the passing of Bogart, the Rat Pack transformed massively and was used for a very close circle of friends that helped each other with the individual star power. The most known names would be Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. And the iconic movie Ocean Eleven was the result of these friendships. To close this episode on Humphrey Bogart, I would like to quote Sean Houston's words from his eulogy for Bogart. Himself, he never took his work too seriously. He regarded the somewhat gaudy figure of Bogart the star with an amused cynicism. Bogart the actor, he held in deep respect. 
In each of the fountains of Versailles, there's a pike which keeps all the carp active. Otherwise, they would grow over fat and die. Bogey took rare delight in performing a similar duty in the fountains of Hollywood. Yet his victims seldom bore him any malice, and when they did, not for long. His shafts were fashioned only to stick into the outer layer of complacency and not to penetrate through the regions of the spirit where real injuries are done. He is quite irreplaceable. There will never be another one like him. And that should be the lesson we should all learn from Bogart. Be yourself. Be irreplaceable. Don't let others inform your choices and personality. And never let others define your life. That is how you become the greatest original of yourself you could ever be. So this is the episode on the greatest male actor of classic Hollywood cinema. And you can probably guess the Hollywood star I will cover in next week's episode. I hope you are having a wonderful week and I cannot wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.